Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Eric K., Chris T., Bart P., Suk D., Levi B., at SNS5500, at Plainview Danny, Mikhail H., and at Dre2090-1423. Returning to the show today is Bill Sheriff. Bill is executive chairman of Encore Energy, a U.S.-focused uranium asset explorer and developer stage company with assets spread across New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, and Wyoming. The company is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol EU and also on the U.S. OTC markets under the symbol ENCUF. Bill, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. Well, Bill, we've got a lot of questions from the audience, so I've cut mine out for purposes of time. But uh, first off, besides yourself, which of the following is your favorite sheriff character? Kurt Russell as Wyatt Earp and Tombstone, or Clint Eastwood as Walt Coogan and Coogan's Bluff? You know, it wasn't one of my favorite uh, Eastwood uh, films, but it's hard to go against Clint Eastwood, you know? <laughs> Fair enough, but uh, who, who can go against Clint Eastwood? You know, his body of work stands... Uh, stands in front of his individual uh, efforts. Certainly a, a fine actor and director and great guy to watch. Well, let's get to your updated view on the market and where we are headed for 2020, Bill. I guess I would start off just characterizing the uranium market. Um, most of the companies we deal with and, and look at in our little universe are, are listed on the TSXV, which, uh, you know, I think we, uh, we, we've got a bit of a cold because our neighbors have pneumonia. And the, uh, by that, I simply mean the, uh, you know, the TSXV is mostly gold mining stocks and then probably the second body's copper and base metal and then, you know, a handful of uranium companies. But, you know, the, the whole index is being caught in terrible bear market. If you, you know, it made new lows for the year yesterday. It's less than 8% off of its all-time lows from, you know, the last 10 years. You know, the investment climate in Canada has uh, basically dried up. You know, I think by and large, it's... Uh, at least towards the gold and typical metals, it's a reflection of lack of revenue and you know lack of uh, really even remotely good odds in the exploration business. And uh, you know we're we're not in the same business in uranium, but nonetheless, uh, you know we're still caught up in that overall investment climate, which has you know certainly put a damper on things. I think you know you compound that with uh, you know the the clear uh, messaging yet uh, inaction out of Washington, which. You know, quite frankly, here again, it's it's the same situation. You know, we, the the China trade talks have dominated the news, and you know, have propelled the Dow Jones up several thousand points with absolutely no progress on the trade front, simply by coming out every uh, uh, other day or every few days saying that uh, we've got a deal, we're near a deal, things are getting better, but nothing ever seems to happen. So, um, you know, notwithstanding that, I see a few tariffs were eased this morning, uh, mostly on the humanitarian basis, but. Uh, you know, I think um, the, the lack of uh, credibility coming out of Washington so far, the lack of action, the terrible dissension that we're seeing, uh, you know, maybe bordering on, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't even want to go there, but, uh, you know, the, the splits in, in Washington are uh, exemplified throughout the country, and it's not a good thing. 
uh, while, while Rome burns would be a good analogy to how the markets are acting in, on the big board. And as long as the markets are acting like that on a big board and the energy prices are subdued, uh, it's hard to garner any interest uh, aside from the Canadian situation in the U.S. situation for small uranium companies. Uh, simple fact, the matter is, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to argue with the success formula over the last five years, which is you wake up in the morning and you uh, uh, buy the S&P and you're, you're up at the end of the day about nine out of ten days. Uh, certainly since Trump took office, that's been the case. Um, you know, not without um, a certain amount of meddling by um, government forces probably, but nonetheless, that's that's been the best recipe for success. You know, at some point the party will come to an end, the music will end, and, you know, we'll, we'll get back to more semblance of a normal market. But uh, trying to, you know, predicting the future is easy. Predicting when is the difficult part and, and sometimes seemingly impossible. So against those backdrops, uh, neither one of which are particularly positive, I do think we bottomed in the uranium market. I think we saw the lows, uh, you know, in the last 18 months. I don't think we're going to revisit those. Uh, at the same time, I don't see a whole lot of... Uh, positive developments in terms of, uh, you know, the big picture in the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, so I would say probably a static uh, environment over the next year. I know the supplies are tightening. A lot of the numbers are looking better. And I, and I do think the prices uh, will move up. Uh, the question is, are they going to move up enough to uh, affect, uh, you know, most of us at the smaller end of the food chain? As usual, we're in a defensive position. Um, I guess if you can be aggressively defensive, that would be a good a good way to look at it. But we, we're adequately financed, uh, very low on our burn rate, and we're um, uh, assuming it's going to be a continued long slog, uh, that there will be uh, good returns at the end, and we're getting closer to the end. The light at the end of the tunnel is probably not a train, and we're looking to, uh, you know, improve our, our lot when the day does come. So, you know, we're looking at uh, various uh, possible acquisitions and that sort of thing. We'd obviously held out, uh, I guess, slim hope for, two thir uh, you know, for the uh, 232. Uh, we were never a big advocate of that uh, in terms of its success odds. In fact, I think I was probably pretty negative on it. And now, uh, you know, all that hope has turned to the uh, nuclear fuel working group. You know, in the in the hearings um, uh, just the other day for the, the new secretary, uh, you know, the subject came up and it had indicated that uh, they were nearing a conclusion and hope to share that soon, but that's uh, in direct conflict with several other reports coming out of uh, various committees that uh, uh, they aren't expecting any uh, significant results to be reported out of NWFG, at least not, uh, or in NFWG, at least not, uh, you know, any sort of a summary paper or anything. So I, I hate to say it, but I think we're in for more of the same. Uh, you know, I think we'll see enough price rise to help Cameco, uh, some of those guys. You know, I, I don't know that uh, over the course of the next 12 months, you're going to see a lot uh, in our, our end of the sector. It is a bit of a clown show out there, there's no doubt. And it'll be interesting to see what what finally breaks coming out of all this uh, across across the various sectors you mentioned and, and this, this fuel working group. And I wanted to ask you just briefly a little bit more about that. Uh, were you involved at all with providing any comments or feedback uh, to these various folks in that group? Do you see something coming out, Bill, over the next six months? Or I, I my, my bet is you're going to see very little other than talking out of both sides of your mouth until after the election, you know, uh, or lynching, whichever happens first. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it depends how much more ridiculous this whole political situation gets. It's already to the point that, uh, you know, I'd never thought I'd see it to, the, to this extreme. Um, but, you know, maybe the more ridiculous it gets, the more inevitable uh, re-election is. And, you know, I think that that's probably the best thing for the domestic uranium industry is if Trump gets in again, I think there'll be some very positive actions taken. 
at the same time, I don't think there's a, a chance in very warm locales that anything meaningful is going to happen before the election. You know, he's, he, he doesn't do anything without calculating, even some of his errant tweets. I'm a firm believer that he has a plan behind everything. That doesn't mean they all work uh, or are understandable by normal people, but uh, he, he plans. You know, I, I think his first objective is to get into office again. And, uh, you know, I think he's firmly committed to nuclear power and will will take the appropriate steps uh, once he's back in. But he's not about to uh, he knows he's going to get in by a narrow margin and probably electoral college again, like last time. Um, so he's not about to take a chance and start a, a ground fire of opposition or groundswell of opposition, uh, you know, in a state like Arizona that's up for grabs or, um, you know, quite frankly, uh, you know, in, in New Mexico, which is uh, typically blue, you know, even Texas, there's, uh, you know, the, the, there's only a few isolated blue spots, but they're, they're growing. It's, it's a changing environment. So I don't think he's going to be rocking the boat too much uh, until then. So I think you'll see a lot of talking out of both sides of their mouth, which they're really good at. Yes, and it's going to be a really interesting outcome. This next election is really going to be something, and I think it's going to potentially show some some serious direction going forward. And and as you said, even even in places like Texas and some of the Midwest, it, it is increasingly creeping to blue as well. So it's, I don't know, the outlook is uh, questionable in my view, but uh, you're a lot closer to it than I am, Bill. And why 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 wouldn't it change? Everybody gets free money. What's wrong with that, right? <laughs> you know, you've got, you've got unicorns and rainbows around every corner. <laughs> um, yep, it's uh, it's really something, man. It's all about equality and fairness, but uh, somehow talent has been thrown out the door. So uh, I want to talk just a little bit more about uh, this this market, broad market view of yours. What if this market doesn't turn, Bill, until 2022? Is there any changes that you would implement at Encore to adjust for this, or is really the company already in that mode, given the current capital consumption and how you see the company con- with a conservative approach to GNA? versus other GNA consumers in the space? You know, going, going back to your last question, which I guess I got a little tangential on the answer, uh, you know, we have had a bit of input to the uh, uh, NFWG through uh, a bit of a lobbying effort. And, uh, you know, that's continued, albeit on a reduced uh, level from the uh, 232 push. And so we, we have made our uh, thoughts known and continue to, to do so. But yeah, I mean, aside from that, we're, uh, you know, I, I guess uh, still in bunker mode other than, uh, you know, taking consideration of, of potential offers that come along. Um, you know, quite fortunate in that we don't need to finance at the moment, you know, don't need to for the next couple of years. Yeah, I guess that sums it up. We're in bunker mode and, and uh, you know, we've got an awfully good position. Uh, we do think that uh, once the smoke clears uh, after next November, January, that, uh, you know, the odds at least currently favor uh, Trump getting in, which mean that the odds uh, for some significant relief in the uranium industry domestically are, are quite good. You know, it'd probably be a nice time to take an extended vacation other than reviewing opportunities to uh, improve our status in terms of our portfolio, which, which of course we're doing, but, uh, you know, very selectively and cautiously like we have over the past uh, few years. Yep, absolutely. Uh, slow accumulation, have cash, have capital, allocate accordingly opportunistic. I think those are all key parts. And of course, uh, lastly, uh, patience and, uh, <laughs> and solvency. Um, yeah, and I mean, so- you really got to be in it to win it. And, you know, as, as you know, cliche as that may sound, you, you do, you have to be in it to win it. You know, r- rather than making sure you've got a, you know, 100% perfect portfolio going into a, an absolute certain market, uh, you know, we, we're quite content to play our, uh, you know, large and dominant in some sectors uh, portfolio and uh, make certain that we are in it uh, when, when the time comes. 
you know, it might not be the maximum return as if your timing's perfect, but uh, perfect timing is usually a factor of luck, not planning. Yes, absolutely. That That is correct. Well, what's your view on Encore's position with regards to timing in the upcoming uranium cycle in comparison to what how Energy Metals was set up during the last cycle, Bill? Can you kind of compare contrast? Where are we time-wise and, and, and as far as position for the company? Well, you know, the, the whole 2004 to 7 thing was, uh, you know, a bit of a perfect storm. You know, you had uh, major mine shortages uh, on, on just about every continent. Certainly the, the big three were... Uh, uh, you know, MacArthur, uh, MacArthur and, and um, uh, Rossi and, uh, and Ranger all at the same time, uh, you know, coupled with, uh, you know, a, a number of other events that coincided. So it was, a, it was a bit of an anomaly in the market. And then, of course, you had one uh, sole producer that pretty much uh, supplied and dictated the spot market. So it's, it's hard to compare in terms of timing because it's, it was, uh, you know, I don't know that it was a true supply-demand imbalance, whereas I think the one that we're moving into uh, is. And, uh, you know, in that regard, it'll be a lot more, uh, I, I think I've said before that it'll, in my opinion, it'll be a lot less explosive, but a lot more uh, longevity to it. Of course, that's a better way to have an actual business as opposed to uh, last time it was a bit more of a, a crunch in the market versus a fundamental change in the market. You know, we still had the overhang uh, that was in the market that just wasn't... Uh, available at the time. Um, you know, all this material since since 07 didn't just um, materialize since, although a good a good amount of production was established that continued. So so the decline in the, uh, you know, eating away at the stockpile certainly slowed down when we actually, you know, produced almost our yearly demand a couple of different years in there. But, uh, it, you know, it's, it's a bit like apples and oranges, but I, you know, I do think that uh, while this one is probably more predictable than that one was, you know, no one believed that one until it was well underway, uh, and yet everyone believes this one's coming. So in that way, it's it's very different. But this one takes a hell of a lot more patience. Obviously, you know, I, uh, we all have, have thought that uh, you know it'd probably be improving more than it is by now, you know, even myself included, with my bearish views. But uh, you know, the, the the number one thing it takes is just one heck of a lot of patience. Good points. Absolutely good points. And when we got into this in 2017, we had said five years, and so. We're halfway wrong in that process to 2022. Now, can you just elaborate a little bit more, Bill, with your lessons learned doing this before and where Encore is today, do you see that the company is better positioned with how you've set it up based on your experience and how you've also set up the, this this new uh, company for this cycle? Well, I think there's you know been a, a little less opportunism this time around and a little more planning. And you know, by that last time was a bit of a mad pounds and mad uh, mad rush to to pick up pounds in the ground, and and everybody was pretty much uh, you know a lot, most of the newcomers to the industry, which was most of the most of the players, uh, were all starting at ground zero. So there was a scramble not only for uh, pounds in the ground, but uh, you know also to uh, be able to spell uranium uh, in many instances. Uh, you know, all the basics as well as, uh, you know, the key, it, it, and this one materialized a bit late, uh, I think, was to go out and get the actual talent that actually knew how to do something with it. And, uh, you know, I still maintain that your technical staff is a heck of a lot more uh, scarce than uranium. You know, we've gone through, I don't know how many cycles now without replenishing the technical expertise, uh, which is really a bottleneck that's coming down the road. And, uh, you know, whether that's going to actually uh, you know, be a catalyst for much higher prices or, or a, a simply a second stage booster to it. It will it will rear its head just because we've got a, a real uh, lack of technical expertise in the field, uh, you know, compared to uh, what, what would normally be there had we gone through, uh, 
you know, even even several normal um, cycles over the last 40 years, as opposed to um, not not really any. So, I guess learning from the past, we've made sure that we've held on to the technical expertise. You know, we've got a pretty positive group, given the you know reality of the situation, and uh, you know, just uh, have have made a real focus on uh, you know low cost acquisitions, which you know pay you know compares starkly to the difference uh, back during the 0407 run when you know you really didn't worry about what you paid for stuff. Uh, you know, you obviously tried to get a good deal and, you know, we're as prudent with shareholder money as possible, but money was abundant. All the, all the way up, uh, really, after the first six months that it started, there was plenty of financing money for everyone. Uh, you know, it really became a, a bit of a fad in the uh, junior industry, but, you know, you've also got to put that in the general economic backdrop back then. And, you know, uh, up until the 08 crash, it was pretty hard to lose money in the stock market, regardless of what you were in. So, you know, we had a some have called it a super cycle. I won't argue with that, but, um, you know, commodities were up, equities were up, everything was up. So, you know, completely different backdrop in terms of uh, where we are in terms of the general economic background as well. Bill, another question that just came to mind is, as you were talking there, that, that you, you said something that spurred this. Do you see with, with some of these companies that are starting, that were that were really focused on uranium, that have now kind of, I guess, to some degree, lost focus, and have moved out into whatever the next hot metal might be. What are your thoughts on those companies that are doing that? Is it because they're tired? Is it because they're impatient? Are they just trying to find somewhere where they can get a, a stock pop? And will Encore be doing any such actions? Uh, my, my first observation is they're probably trying to survive. You know, it's it's been a long haul and not, not everybody was as prudent with the cash. We were very fortunate to have financed a couple of times when we did. We, you know, we Took the gamble going into 232 that there wouldn't be positive resolution and financed in front of that. A number of companies were waiting and you know we're certain it was going to happen, so waited to fund afterwards and haven't been able to to this point. You know, some of it's uh, probably seeing legitimate opportunities and and going that direction. Some of it's probably uh, you know trying just you know do something. You know, one of my mentors always said do something even if it's wrong. And uh, as as crazy as that sounds, I think it's true because if you're if you aren't doing something. You know, if, if you're up against the ropes and you aren't doing something, then your fate's pretty well sealed. So, you know, I think, you know, some of them, uh, I assume as long as they're staying in the uranium business, uh, will are doing it as a crutch to get along to the uh, finish line, which is uh, probably a good idea. Uh, others that may have abandoned uranium, uh, you know, probably weren't all that set on it to start with and uh, wish them luck in, in more fertile ground for the time being. But, uh, you know, we're, we're committed. Uh, you know, would we look at other opportunities? You know, I guess I'd say uh, only if we saw some immediate cash flow opportunities. Anything with cash flow here again, I think the the whole sickness of the TSXD is uh, attributable to one uh, one word or, or lack thereof, and that is revenue. So, you know, anything you can do to help uh, fund yourself, uh, I think will be rewarded, uh, uh, you know, with a little bit extra reward than whatever reward you're going to get just in your own sector. So we, we aren't looking to get out of the uranium business to, to answer your question first and foremost. At the same time, if uh, if we saw an opportunity that uh, we thought was a revenue uh, within within grasp, we'd certainly take a hard look at it. Yes, absolutely. And I think there is a mix. I think there's some that are just uh, shouldn't have been there in the first place. And there are some that are trying to get along and, and doing whatever they can. And you're absolutely right. Uh, the ability to have some cash flow besides just raising capital is a good thing. So I appreciate your insights on that. Well, where are we on capital structure, Bill? Um, how many shares are out now and how long will current capital last you? Well, the, the share count hadn't changed and I don't have it right at my fingertips uh, just because it hadn't changed, um, you know, and 
you know, the, the real answer is, you know, we've certainly got at least two years of capital and, and probably three or four if we have to make it last. How about plans for 2020? Can you can you highlight anything that you guys might be looking at? Uh, would it be further acquisitions potentially? Would it be doing some drill work? Is there any plans uh, for any of the projects during 2020 to do drilling or will there be any acquisitions uh, potentially? Well, here again, I'm not a big advocate of drilling. Uh, you know, there's enough uranium out there. It's a matter of, of getting it through uh, permitting and production. So depending on how things materialize through the year, we, we have a, a, you know, an awareness and a political initiative for increasing our awareness and, and acceptability in a number of uh, communities and, and jurisdictions uh, canned and ready to go at the, at the drop of a hat. I think that would be the first sign you would see if we think things are really breaking and moving. And I think we will get some visibility on that as the election nears. I mean, if we uh, if we see that, uh, you know, it looks as if Trump will get back in again next uh, next time around, then, uh, you know, we may uh, very well uncork that and, and start moving forward on it. So I, I guess, uh, you know, in the meantime, we're rearranging the chairs in the bunker, um, but, but not spending any money doing it and, uh, you know, keeping our eye on possible uh, acquisitions. Uh, certainly, that would be a good thing for us. Uh, but you know, mostly we're uh, to reiterate in our in our aggressive defensive stance, preparedness and survivability. I guess are the two key words. Let's talk just briefly about the Arizona projects. Uh, some of the projects that don't that don't have a band and and the ones that do. If the band was lifted, did you see that happening under Trump? Obviously, probably during a second term. How does that change your priorities? Uh, and would the company strategy change at that point? Yeah, I think it you know it changed pretty quickly and uh, probably go even into drilling. You know, we we looked really hard at drilling this year for a while when it looked like we might get some uh, immediate uh, or at least more immediate relief on that. So drill plans are uh, drawn up, if you will. Obviously, uh, the the Arizona properties are the highest grade uh, in our portfolio. Uh, certainly not the biggest, but the highest grade. And relatively short timeline to development uh, and and cash flow in general. Uh, you know, obviously, you've got to have a toll milling facility or, or look at building your own mill, which is uh, you know problematic in terms of timing. Although we've certainly looked at that and, and have uh, preliminary discussion and ideas on that as well. But I think clearly the most opportunistic would be to uh, get in and develop uh, one of the high grade uh, projects as quickly as possible and, and uh, hopefully uh, come up with a suitable uh, toll milling arrangement uh, for, for processing. You know, when that sort of grade, you can you can transport an awfully long distance. So. Right. Well, you keep trusting on old Mark Chalmers' arm, and I'll do the same, and we'll we'll keep it moving. One thing nice having him as shareholders, so it does keep the line of communication open. Now, you've had some agencies such as the USGS throw out some pretty sizable estimates. Um, I think in some cases, 350 million pounds approximately from 2015 data they put out on the Arizona Brescia pipes. What does management see as a target size or just give us a range that you believe can be proved up within your assets there? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, you know, I, I'm going to uh, do what I seldom do, and that is uh, go completely off of your question. Um, I'm not going to give you an answer just because I don't uh, I don't think there's really a prudent answer to give you. Uh, it, it would sort of be a bit of a wild-ass guess to start with. But, uh, you know, su suffice it to say, you know, we've got uh, – uh, several dozen targets uh, that uh, are compelling anomalies that have not been drilled, a handful that have been drilled successfully. You know, target size out there is, you know, anywhere from, you know, two to 10 million pounds, uh, you know, more typically five or six. 
you or the audience can can do their own math on that and come up with a ballpark number that's probably just as good as ours, uh, quite frankly. You know, it's it's a bit of a, a factor of taking your best data and uh, drilling them. Uh, you know, ba based on the VTEM geophysics data, there's a high, very high success correlation between, uh, you know, tier one targets and, and uh, uh, positive drill indications of a mineralized breccia pipe. So, you know, in terms of your odds of success, it's it's very high uh, on those targets. Uh, at the same time, nothing's 100%, and certainly not in the, finding something under the cover of the ground. Uh, but, you know, it, it's certainly uh, among the highest exploration odds you're going to find, that, you know, if you if you can get that. And, and as I say, we've got a number of targets there. So, you know, it would definitely, going back to your previous question, would change our game plan a lot in that regard and our focus, certainly, but uh, at least our immediate focus. And, um, you know, but here again, it's it's largely dependent upon uh, on political action at this point. There, there are a few pipes there that are not uh, encumbered, certainly uh, a handful of those in the uh, in uh, you know full disclosure, one of our earlier drilling plans would be on on some of the ones that are not in the in the land uh, of, of questionable ability, um, and those would be the ones we'd drill. Uh, uh, you know, at least the first one would be one of those, just um, because I'm sure there'll be a bit of political tug of war, regardless of the decision that comes down. Well, I've certainly set my expectations low, and and uh, certainly of, of the opinion that uh, under promise and over deliver. So, so appreciate your your views on that, and it'd be interesting to see how things move on. Now, just just one follow up with that, Bill. What are your thoughts on the work of Dr. Karen Winrich uh, regarding Arizona Brescia pipe collapse, and and do, do you see that work uh, helping out the company with with some of the targets you have? Yeah, I've known Karen a long time, and she's uh, obviously knows quite a bit of, about them and has spent a lot of time on, on the plateau or, you know, on the rim there working on them. Here again, I think, uh, you know, her, her contributions have been large to the, to the science, but I, I think ours has actually gone maybe a more focused approach to uh, relying very heavily on VTEM and drilling. We've got quite a body of, of work between the carbide data, who of course had the energy fuels joint venture back in the day when the, the pipes were in their heyday. So, you know, we've got an enormous amount of data on them. Uh, we've you know, the Quatera guys, uh, Gene Spearing and all, uh, went went and you know stepped further with the VTEM, and you know the the results are compelling on the VTEM, and the correlation here again to uh, discovery is very good on on your best targets. So, I think we're more in a mode of implementation once the uh, legal situation is is clarified, as as opposed to uh, you know refining our scientific approach. I think we've got enough things on our plate in front of us to uh, rapidly go and make a number of uh, discoveries and prove up the ones we've got. And let's move over to the Wyoming projects. Where do you see that these fall into priority, Bill? And what asset here will be looked at first and why? Can you tell us a little bit about the potential you see in the Wyoming projects? They're pretty low, um, you know, in terms of our, our viewpoint. I mean, realistically, I think you need to be in Wyoming if you're, if you're going to be, you know, in the business. Uh, we obviously are not uh, completely content with our, our position there and would like to improve it. But, you know, as, as a result of, of the merit of the projects there, uh, you know, clearly they're uh, taking out all legislative risk and that sort of thing. They're clearly of the third order behind our New Mexico and Arizona projects. We just don't have critical mass in Wyoming. Um, you know, we, we've only got a handful of projects and, uh, you know, there are some decent ones, but they're relatively small. 
you know, obviously always on the look to uh, find something that's an attractive acquisition in Wyoming. But you know, I would also say that probably competition for those assets is probably keenest in Wyoming because to date, anyway, they've been uh, probably the most progressive state, uh, you know, to, to get anything uh, moving on. Yes, I certainly am a, I'm a big fan of Wyoming and, and Utah as well. And there's a few good states left, Bill, and, and even Texas where you're at, it still makes my list anyway. But uh, let's move on to New Mexico assets. What kind of environmental and political challenge do you see with New Mexico and how best are you going to approach to deal with these? Well, it's here again, I think a bit more of a linear thing. I mean, there's environmental opposition to doing everything. Um, especially anything having to do with energy. I was reading something the other day about uh, nuclear power and wind power, and you know the simple bottom line is the you know the liberal side of the uh, political equation, quite frankly, doesn't like any kind of power. You know nothing nothing actually nothing actually works. It's uh, it's sort of like you know we're going to sit back and throw rocks at everything, but we're not going to have any real positive suggestions. So you know wind power is great, except every 20 years you got to replace the turbines, at least those that don't go into flames in the intermediate 10 years or 20 years. Uh, you know every everything's got a problem. So I guess the answer is just sit around and, and do nothing except protest. So in any event, sorry about uh, showing my political leanings, but. Uh, it's, it's hard not it's hard not to these days you know it um going more specifically to new mexico i mean you know it's the political the environmental thing's going to be there no matter where you are uh, so taking that aside and shelving it i don't think it's going to be any more intense in new mexico than arizona or, or anywhere else um, you know with the possible exception of wyoming and that's simply because you don't have a lot of population there and, and that that you do have is, is still uh, considerably to the right on political leaning the key really is, uh, you know, in the First Nations or, or with the uh, Navajo Nation. Here again, you know, we think we've got a better approach. Uh, we've, you know, proven that strategy in our sister company in the Yukon, uh, where again, we're dealing with the uh, same language-based uh, peoples, the Diné culture. Doesn't mean, uh, doesn't guarantee success by any means, but, uh, you know, it's a fresh new approach. And clearly the old approach uh, was not working. At the core of our uh, approach is, uh, you know, not only education, but alignment of interest. And, uh, you know, I would dare say no one's ever aligned their interest before. Um, and, you know, going in and, you know, promising a handful of jobs or, uh, you know, building a gazebo in the park, uh, you know, in, in town doesn't doesn't really align your interest. It's it's nice thing to do and all of that. And that's pretty much all that's been done in the past. But, uh, you know, we, we think that a true alignment of interest uh, would involve uh, them having equity and sharing in, you know, profit sharing uh, in moving something forward. Uh, that way, everyone's pulling in the same direction instead of an opposing direction. So, you know, it's not an overnight thing. And it's, uh, you know, we've always said, uh, you know, New Mexico is the big treasure chest. You know, it's the biggest, uh, best deposits in the U.S., uh, but uh, it doesn't come without a price. You know, historically, most of the uranium mined in the U.S. came out of New Mexico for that very reason, that it's uh, you know, geologically uh, better endowed than anywhere else in the U.S. So given that, we think it's a challenge that uh, the prize merits the effort. And uh, we also think it's the right thing to do. So that's, like I say, one of the initiatives that we have uh, canned and ready to go. Um, but at the same time, you, you have to pace yourself on everything, no matter how good the opportunity is, because... Again, if you aren't in business uh, and, and, and you accomplish your goal, it doesn't help a whole lot. Right. And it is a long-term approach with, with these community relations. And I think that uh, equity share is also a, a good piece to add to the pie there. 
Yeah, I think it's critical. You know, if you don't have everybody pulling in mining of anything's a hard business. And, uh, you know, uranium is probably even harder than, than the average. And, you know, you've got so many factors involved that aren't necessarily geological. Um, and if, if you don't have everybody pulling in the same direction, it's just uh, that much more of a mountain to go up. So uh, we, we think not only is it the right thing to do, um, but I think it's the absolute necessary thing to do. But it's easy for us to contemplate that thinking it's the right thing to do. Right, absolutely. Certainly, uh, on the ground feedback from from folks that are involved uh, certainly is a, a good piece as well. Let's uh, let's move on here. Um, let's say we have some ideal conditions in the market uh, regarding project timeline and capital needs. Bill, can you speak to one key project that uh, Encore has that you guys would go after that would require the least amount of capital, the shortest lead time? What asset would be attacked first? Well, here again, I think, um, you know, the presence of revenue is important. So assuming we had a good market, uh, you know, our smaller assets in, in Utah that are dry could go into production the quickest in theory. You know, permitting time in Utah, you already mentioned it's a favorable state. Certainly it is. Um, you know, you're, you're clearly well under a year to, to get a mine in operation there. So while they aren't big, it would establish cash flow. And I don't view it as a linear uh, question or answer. I think at the same time you 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 know if and, and it depends how things evolve. If things evolve where you're clearly embarked on the on the right track in terms of the uranium price, you know you probably unleash all three efforts at the same time. And that would be number one. Number two would be uh, the drilling campaign on the breccia pipes. Uh, whether we're you know have the land situation or not clarified, we've certainly got a number of projects there that are not encumbered, so could move forward on those and at the same time, uh, you know, fully engage on the um, community level and, and political level in, in New Mexico for the long-term plan. So that part really hasn't changed in terms of a you know a short-term, mid-term, and a long-term uh, goal that can all three be uh, you know pretty much uh, operating simultaneously. Well, let's move over to talent and, and management. For the audience who may not be familiar, what does Dennis Stover bring to the company? Uh, what is his importance regarding the development at NCI? And what will he be doing once things in the market get underway? Well, Dennis is a PhD chemical engineer, and he's been involved many, many years. I don't even remember the exact date, but going back to uh, South Texas many years with Rio Algum, a number of different environments. and. Um, you know, he, he essentially built uh, South Enkai, or designed the plant. Uh, you know, didn't physically build it, but uh, so we've got uh, you know certainly his expertise. You know, it's it's certainly in terms of the ISL side of things invaluable. Following on to that, uh, Bill, can you speak to the experience and accomplishments of your management team? And are you of the opinion that your management team is really among the highest experienced teams left in the sector? Yeah, I'd certainly agree with that uh, latter statement. And I think the key is that we've tried to recruit, and I think we've done a good job, uh, guys that are committed to the long-term picture. Uh, you know, we aren't active day-to-day -day in terms of, you know, out turning wrenches and that sort of thing. So our burn rate's been able to be uh, kept in check uh, almost entirely. But, you know, Richard Cherry, he has to run General Atomics. He's uh, got a strong background in marketing, uh, operations, conventional mining as well. And you know, marketing and, and contracting of uranium is a significant part of it. It's almost like the fuel chain. You know, you've you've got so many parts of it. Well, you've also got so many parts of it that you have to look at as a small uranium company, including you know your permitting, uh, which is where uh, another member of the team, Mark Paliza, comes in very strongly. Is is in the permitting as well as uh, operational experience in the ISL environment, having uh, 
you know, had a big hand in uranium resources, uh, previous operations in Texas. We've got, uh, you know, Doug Underhill involved with us as well, who's uh, spent a good deal of time on a worldwide basis looking at uranium deposits, which, you know, in formulating your views of the market is, is quite helpful, as, as well as a great deal of time on the ground in, uh, in the U.S. looking at individual deposits, both ISL and conventional, and having him on as our chief geologist is certainly a, you know, a huge plus and win for us. And uh, Gene Spearing, uh, having joined our advisory board, you know, his experience on the breccia pipes is uh, phenomenal. And, uh, you know, go back a little further in his career, he's got a very, very wide uh, uh, breadth of experience in most geologic environments. So, you know, you, you put the whole team together there and it's, uh, you know, like I say, it's not a big team, but it's, uh, you know, specifically adapted to this. And, you know, even on the uh, reclamation end of it, which, you know, we're, we're a long ways away from that, but it's still something you've got to think about because in your permitting, you've got to account for it. And uh, on that end, we've got Joe Harrington uh, on our advisory group, who's, uh, you know, he, he reclaimed the Sweetwater Pit Lake and has won awards for reclamation in a number of uh, aqueous and land-based applications uh, for, or environments rather, with a number of different metals, including uranium. So pretty much a complete team. Well, Bill, is there any talent that you see that's missing at the company right now? If you needed to further supplement your talent, um, and if you could select from the existing sector talent, uh, would you share with us maybe a, a person that you see that has some good uh, expertise in the sector? Well, you know, I, I think the one thing, rather than an area of talent, I think we've got, a, you know, a pretty good coverage. Um, obviously, if you go into operations, you need more of it, depending on what part you need. Um, so yes. there'll be that need, and it'll be keenly competitive. Uh, at the same time, uh, you know, having really established good people at the top makes it generally easier to compete for talent uh, working with them and below them. So, you know, we acknowledge there'll be a stiff competition for, you know, the people to fill in under under the top management, but, uh, uh, you know, are confident that we'll be able to uh, uh, do that uh, as well as, as most and, and better than a lot. Um, you know, the, the one limitation, of course, will be uh, salaries, you know, we won't be able to match Cameco and that sort of thing, but... Uh, uh, you know, or energy fuels for that matter, probably once they're in, you know, top-notch financial shape. But uh, there's some advantages, uh, you know, to working for whom you want to. And we, we haven't had a problem in the past uh, staffing, and I don't think we will uh, going forward. Coming back to that, the one thing I would mention, I failed to mention before, is, you know, we, we don't have any technical holes, I don't think, in the group. And you can never get enough, but we're quite happy with the position we've got. But the one thing I, we have become increasingly aware of, it's not a technical skill, but we could use some youth. I look around at the board and uh, there's, there's an awful lot of gray hair, white hair, and no hair. And uh, <laughs> quite, quite, quite frankly, uh, we've here again, this is a testament to having skipped a number of uh, cycles in the industry. Uh, most of your talent is uh, not uh, 30 years old anymore. So we, we have uh, recruited a, a younger fellow that's uh, come in as, uh, as a vice, vice president level. And... Uh, his number one job for the next few years is to spend as much time with these guys and learn everything he can from them. And uh, it's not the answer to the future entirely, but it's a good start. And uh, not going to have this brain trust around, uh, you know, not not just ours, but everyone. Uh, you know, everyone advances, and you know, there's so much knowledge there that it's important that this, uh, you know, gets encapsulated and carried on to uh, the next generation, if you will. Absolutely. I agree 100% with, with what you're saying there, and, and there is a, a lack of, of youth and, and, and new talent coming into the sector. It seems to be the case uh, across the mining industry, which, which may start to put the 
social status of, of places like the U.S. and Canada on notice um, of you better be careful with what direction you're taking because it could affect uh, much more than what is being seen ahead of us. Let's move on here, Bill. Uh, during the last cycle, did you have exposure to any other uranium companies in the sector besides energy metals? And in retrospect, if you could have had exposure to another company, would you mind sharing with us what company that might have been? Well, we, we ended up doing five mergers during our time at Energy Metals, so I guess the best answer to that is uh, most, not all of them, as we went after a couple we didn't get, but uh, most of the companies that we really liked, we bought. There were a few that escaped, but uh, there were, you know, we, we ended up uh, taking the ones that uh, we wanted and combining them into a team and integrating them, uh, which is what built the final company. Do you see Uranium One looking to offload assets uh, in the U.S., perhaps some assets that you had with Energy Metals? What are you seeing out in the market for potential further sales of assets within the U.S.? You know, here again, that's a, a question that's not absent political ramifications as well. You know, the, the Russian involvement situation there certainly is uh, an, an interesting one. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's subject to change based on politics, but I you know, don't want to speak out of school, but I think they're probably pretty happy with their, their current hand. You know, you'd have to ask them to find out, but, uh, you know, we stay in touch with them. We stay in touch with, uh, you know, a good number of the, not all the colleagues in the industry, but a good number of them. And obviously we've got some uh, former attachments to them. So we, we uh, maintain lines of communication with them. You know, if, if anything comes up, then, you know, I'm sure we'll be able to review it. Sounds good. Well, Bill, is there any desire for Encore to look at assets outside the U.S.? Uh, specifically, the question was, are, are you going to look at assets in Canada? No, that was easy. Okay, um, easy enough. <laughs> there's there's nothing wrong with uh, Canada. In fact, it's for exploration and, you know, the home run hit, it's probably the best jurisdiction around. But, you know, the lead time and the size deposit you need and the competition for mill space and blah, 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 blah. It's great for those that want to do that, and I'm not discouraging it. From time to time, I've been known to take a stock trade up there. Uh, but it's not what our company's set up to do. You know, right now we're seeing a couple of the companies up there that have, have been the, you know, the, the real epitome of successful exploration that have drilled their brains out, have built up beautiful, nice, big reserves, and have absolutely nowhere to go with them right now. Um, I know one of them's talking about producing themselves, but... And you almost have to say you're going to do that, otherwise you you devalue your company. But but realistically, you know the difficulties of production in the Athabasca Basin from an engineering perspective uh, make ISL look like a walk in the park. Um, so and and they certainly aren't. You know there's there's complications with every bit of every bit of mining. So it's just uh, it's a good game. It's just a different one for than than we need. And, you know, there's some big, big deposits in Canada that have been known forever. My, my favorite one to always talk about is uh, Midwest. It's been around since the 70s with, I don't know how many millions of pounds of, of ore at 3%. And it's still sitting there and it's probably going to sit there for a lot longer. It's just a different, different chapter. So, you know, more, more power to those that want to do it. Um, it's, it's high risk, high reward. Um, but we, uh, you know, feel our, our group is designed to uh, stay, stay domestic. Right. It's interesting you say that, and, and you certainly know some of the lead time challenges with some of your ventures being up in Canada and so forth, and the timing and, and a lot of the problems there. Um, and also, of course, as you mentioned, there's a there's a number of companies on the uranium side up there that, that have really just bled out um, as a result of the status in the market, and it could go on for quite some some time yet. The one caveat to that, and it sounds kind of extreme, but uh, you know, anymore we're in silly season on uh, geopolitical things, so if Wexit uh, were to prevail, 
we, you know, we might reevaluate that. Not everybody may be familiar with Wexit, but that's the uh, movement that's gaining quite a lot of momentum, still unlikely to happen, but uh, whereby the uh, Confederation of Canada is broken up uh, largely with uh, Alberta taking the lead. See which way Saskatchewan fell on that. But uh, the U.S. is not alone having severe, severe political uh, dissension and, and uh, division. Uh, Canada is, uh, if anything, more divided than we are. Yes, it'll be very interesting to see what happens with these uh, some of these political situations that are going to play out over the next couple of years, uh, starting 2020. Bill, uh, looking out there today, if you wanted to invest or speculate in the sector, is there a company that really stands out to you in this sector? Well, I mean, clearly the guys that are producing and, and able to hang on to production without, uh, you know, going down with the ship are things that catch my attention and as an investor. You know, and that that's a pretty pretty small list. You gotta gotta hand it to you know energy fuels, and you are uh, here again. The, the revenue is is key. It gives you some options that the other companies don't have. You know, I think those would certainly come to come to light. You know, when, once you get away from the revenue, then I think it's the um, sustainability that would be my next thing, and I think that's right where we fit. Bill, personally, do you own any uranium claims? No. Obviously, used to have I don't know how many thousands of them, but um, you know all, all of my uh, stuff went to either the previous company and have not owned any personally since. Very well. So now Eric Sprott is a key supporter of Golden Predator. Do you think that he is looking at the uranium sector again and looking to deploy capital into the sector uh, soon? One thing about Eric, he's pretty uh, until he makes his moves, he's always uh, holding his cards pretty close to his chest. Um, once, once he jumps into a sector, it becomes pretty obvious pretty quick. And, um, you know, we, we can only hope for that day to come again. Uh, it certainly hasn't materialized yet. And, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, with the success he's enjoying in gold, it will, it will uh, it take a bit for him to come in. But, uh, you know, when the timing's right, he's, he's a very savvy investor. So I would, uh, would expect to see his name involved at the right time. And who knows, maybe that'll be the signaling of, of when we're really underway. It certainly is interesting because I, I was just speaking to Alex Black of Rio 2 the other day, and he he just mentioned to take some words out of Alex's mouth, uh, mentioned that Eric really is single-handedly supporting some of these junior companies uh, over in the precious metal space, and uh, it, it certainly is the case. Yeah, no, there's, there's been, if you look at all the financings done in Canada over the last uh, 12 months or so, I think... Um, I've seen various numbers, but I think Eric's personal money has been about 10% of the total cash invested, uh, which is, uh, you know, a testament to his, uh, you know, thank, thank goodness he's there. And, you know, there's there's a handful that are that are still active in that space. And, you know, we've been pretty fortunate to have a lot of them involved with Golden Predator, himself, Rob McEwen and uh, Pat DiCapo and you know, several, several others. But, uh, you know, Eric's um, our biggest shareholder on that side. You know, he did very well with us in energy metals. And when he comes back to uranium, I, I certainly expect to chat with him. But uh, yeah, without him, it would have been pretty, it, it's tough in the gold market in Canada. It would have been a whole lot tougher without Eric. Absolutely. Well, Bill, for potential investors who are looking at the company at today's price level, what would you say to them and why should they look at Encore Energy now? Here again, um, I think we've got an established and proven uh, business model over the past um uh, almost decade. You know, we, we aren't going to be the guy out leading the charge, but we'll, uh, we'll we certainly will figure out which way the parade's going and get in and get in it. Uh, main thing is, uh, you know, we aren't the most aggressive company out there, but we want to make sure we're there when the party starts. And uh, I, I don't, I don't want to win at all. I just want a little more than I'm entitled to.
Fair enough. <laughs> well, well, Bill, it's, it's always a pleasure, and I look forward to chatting again soon with you. All right, anytime. Appreciate the catch-up.